What's up, people? How y'all doing? Fantastic. Let's give it up one more time for the band. Wasn't that awesome? Man, just so awesome. I tell you what, I love worshiping here at One Church. It's just so much fun. It's just, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. There's just sometimes I don't even want to preach, and I just want to just keep on just singing. Anybody else want to do that? All of y'all want to do that when I'm like preaching on giving. I understand that, but... Man, so anyway, today I'm so glad you're here with us. We are finishing up a series here entitled Stalking Jesus. Now, if this is your first week with us, um, let me explain a little bit because it's a little bit different. Um, We talked about uh, the first week that prayer is the difference between stalking Jesus and walking with Jesus. And we talked a lot about that many of us, we stalk Jesus. We learn facts about him. We learn facts about him, but we really, and we, we memorize verses about him, but we really don't talk to him. We really don't know him. So um, the, our big idea the first week, we looked at, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we looked at this whole idea that the purpose of prayer is not, is to surrender to our will, not to impose our will. That was our big idea for that week, that it wasn't about getting God to do what we want him to do, but it's about us trying to understand what God wants us to do in doing that. The second week, uh, we talked about the whole idea of why our prayers don't work. Uh, many times, we, you know, we pray and we kind of we struggle because we feel like they're not working and, is, you know, is God really he- hearing us and listening to us? And we talked about so many times, again, we want God to give us the right answer, and usually what that right answer is, what we want, right? But we talked about our big idea that next week was prayer was not about getting the right answer. It was about talking to the right person. And we looked at that passage in Luke chapter 11 where uh, if we ask and if we pray and we seek, if we knock, then he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. And some of you are like, yeah, I don't know if I really want the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm asking for a raise. Hang on a sec, this is bugging me. I'm asking for a raise, and I'm getting the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like asking for an iPad and getting an Etch-A-Sketch, right? But we kind of unpacked that and said, you know what? Getting the right person, the Holy Spirit living inside of you is so much better than just getting what we want. Because it's he that can be able to direct us and show us what we need to do and how we need to do it. And last week, we were just really real. We were painfully honest. And we talked about what many of you guys have texted in and you've actually put on version. This whole idea is that does God really care and can I be honest? And we, 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 the band sang a really good song last week, that Say Something song that's all over the radio right now. And it was just so thick with honesty. In fact, our big idea last week was this, that we want to pray honestly. God wants us to pray honestly because, honestly, God wants the real you. That we can yell and we can scream and we can do all of that with God because he's sovereign. That means uh, he's over everything and he's also omniscient. And uh, that means he knows everything. So if he knows what we're thinking, we might as well go ahead and tell him. And we looked at that great psalm, Psalm 13, a psalm of David. Well, today we're going to be looking at, as we're finishing the series, we're going to be looking at the frustration that many of you said you had in prayer. And, and, and it was this, that prayer changes things. How many of y'all have ever heard that? Prayer changes things. Anybody? I've heard that. There's been like a, a bumper stickers about it and stuff like that. And, um, and I want to unpack that because I really believe we need to stop saying that. Or maybe we should. I don't know. 
Because does really prayer change things? Because here's the thing, here's what I know. All of us, if I were to do an audit of your prayer life, it would go something like this. You would pray about your job, things aren't going well for your boss, or maybe you didn't get the raise, or you're not getting ahead like you think you should. There's some bass going on down here. I don't know if we could get that down. Thank you very much. Um, you, you pray about an illness you got or somebody that you know has that you're not in control of, and you pray in thinking that prayer is going to change things. And that's one of those weird things that Christians say, that prayer changes things. Now, what that really means, if I can unpack that, is that prayer changes things really means, well, I asked God, and God did what I asked him to do. As if prayer was a button to be pushed exactly the way they wanted from a vending machine, F4, right? And you get what you want. Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that prayer is not a button to be pushed, it's a relationship to be pursued. And the reason why I think we need to stop saying that prayer changes things is simply because many of you have been praying for years and things haven't changed. I mean, think about it. You've been praying for years and there are scores of people that have prayed for jobs. They prayed for people inside and outside the church for them to kind of get right and, and for them to come to know Jesus Christ and all of this. And it hasn't happened. And some of you, you stopped praying because you think that prayer should change things and your situation or this circumstance hasn't changed. And again, we looked at a little bit of these elements in Psalm 13 last week. But I just want to unpack this, that prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't change things because I got what I wanted or what I didn't want. Uh, If we could have asked many people who wrote the Bible and lived during these times about that prayer changes things, I think most of them would have been shocked to see prayer reduced to a God doing what I asked him to do when I asked him to do it formula. Because God isn't a puppy to be trained, or he isn't a chef in the kitchen who prepares food to suit our every whim. He is sovereign. That's a churchy word. It just means that he is over everything. He is over everything. In fact, listen to this quote by Richard Foster. He says this, it's going to be on the screen. For those explorers in the frontiers of faith, prayer was no little habit tacked on to the periphery of our lives. It was their entire life. It was the most serious work of their most productive years. Prayer, nothing draws us closer to the heart of God. So what I want to talk about and unpack is, what changes when we pray? Or does prayer change anything at all? And let me share with you that I am most tempted to pray about the things that I can't change. Right? I mean, you think about it. You're probably most tempted to pray about the things that you can't change. Uh, A spouse um, or um, your your financial situation. Or maybe you're frustrated um, with illness and you can't change it. Maybe you're frustrated, uh, you have an unchurched friend that isn't getting any closer to God after you've been praying for five years, than what they are now. And you pray, God, why can't you change it? I really want to unpack that today. Man, because here's the thing. As much as we need to pray about the things that we can't change, and I think we should do that, what if we started praying for the things we can't change and changing the things that we can change? Let me unpack it this way. Uh, Years ago, years ago, uh, I was in a community group uh, with a group of people that nobody in here knows. And um, I'll never forget, I had one person in that group kept on praying for their parents to come to know the Lord. 
Their parents lived in another state very far away on the West Coast. And um, they would pray every, every time we did group, God, I pray that my, my family would come to know God. I pray that my family, that somebody would tell them, that, tell my family about Jesus. And after about nine months of this, I kind of got a little frustrated. And I'm like, I just, let me ask you this. Have you told them about Jesus? No. That's what I'm unpacking today. Because so many of us, we want God to do something when many times we need to pray and then we need to go forward and we need to do something ourselves. And that's what we're going to be unpacking today. Yes, we're to, to, to pray about the things we can't change. But what if we focused on the things that we can change? I'm going to focus on the things that I am responsible for. Again, it's like this. I do a lot of, of marriage counseling and premarital counseling. And one of the things that I have is couples will come into my office, and usually when they're frustrated, very rarely do I ever get a couple going, we love each other. Can we have counseling, right? It doesn't happen. Um, though it should. I mean, you think about it. When do you change the oil? When your car gets broke or before it breaks? Before it breaks, right? You want to do, you know, regular upkeep on it. That's how we should do in our marriages. But for some reason, we don't do that. I don't know why. But usually, I'll have a couple to come in, and the guy's going, you know, this is her problem, and she needs to do this and this and this, and she needs to do this. And he's already got the solution figured out in his mind, and he wants me to listen to the situation and tell her, yeah, you need to listen to your spouse. <laughs> Very rarely does that ever work out for the guy. Because usually, there, there is some, there's some truth to that. There is. But really, at the end of the day, he probably doesn't listen very well. He's not listening. He's trying too big to fix the problem. And here's the thing. In every relationship, there are things that we can change, and there are things that we can't change. Let me tell you what you can't change. You can't change the other person. You can't change the other person. You can't do that. But what you can change is who? You. And that's really what we're unpacking today when it comes to our prayer life. That's our big idea today. When you ask God to change you, things change. Can we say that out loud? When we ask God to change you, things change. If you're frustrated that things aren't changing in your life, if you're frustrated that things aren't changing in your world, if you're frustrated that things aren't changing in your marriage, here's what you need to do. Ask God to change who? You. Because when you ask God to change you, things start to change. And let me tell you, this is a very painful journey. This is a very difficult lesson. But the Bible helps us tremendously. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the Bible today. So if you brought your Bibles, we give them away for free here at One Church. Or go ahead and pull out your smartphones, go to the live event on Version. We're going to be in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. I think Romans 12 addresses a problem that most of us have. That some of us are frustrated and say, I don't really hear from God. And maybe the reason why you don't hear from God is because you're focusing on things you can't change, not on focusing on the things that you can change. Because if we started focusing on the things that we could change, you might feel like you're hearing from God. In fact, some of the most responsible people I know, when they pray, they focus on the things that they can change in their own life. They pray prayers like, oh God, I need you to change this in me. I don't need to be a better spouse. 
excuse me, I don't need a better spouse. I need to become a better spouse. I don't need a better child. I need to become a better parent. I don't need to be a better employer. I need to become a better employee. Some of you need to hear that. You've went from job to job to job, and you keep on trying to figure out what is the right job. And the thing that you always have to realize is every time you leave a job and go to another job, what's the common denominator? You. You see, it isn't about about finding your dream job. It's about you developing in the person that God is calling you to be. Some of you, you don't need to find better friends. You need to become a better friend. If all of your time is focusing on changing other people, you're going to get a lot of people around you frustrated, and you're going to remain frustrated yourself because you can't change anyone except the man in the mirror. All right? So anyway, Romans chapter 12. Hey, at least I didn't do the moonwalk, right? Just saying. All right. Romans chapter 12, it's in the New Testament. Um, it is a letter uh, written by a guy by the name of Paul. His original name was Saul, and Saul uh, had a nasty habit of killing a bunch of Christians. He hated Christians, hated Jesus, and God came into his life and literally did this to his life, and now he's planting churches all over the world, and one of the churches he plants is one in Rome, and he wrote a letter to them, to this letter in Rome, and we call this the letter of Romans, all right? <clears throat> so let's dig into Romans, Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Buckle up. Here we go. If you ever want to know what you should pray about, here we go. All right. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. We could stop right there and I could preach for an hour and a half, and we would still have so much more to talk about this verse right here. Do you ever just pretend to like somebody? How many of y'all got family? That's what I'm saying. All right. Or how many of y'all, you have a coworker who's so successful and you're just jealous of him or her? You don't really love him. You don't really love them or her. You just pretend. And Paul says, never pretend to love someone. So what's the remedy? To ignore them? Well, defriend them? No. Paul writes, love each other with genuine affection, verse 10. Love each other with genuine affection in verse 10. Here's our problem, and we've been talking a lot about this at One Church. We think that love is an emotion, and love is not an emotion. Love is a decision. Love says, I don't feel anything for you right now, but I'm going to behave as though I care. If we would just do that with our spouse, we would have a lot more healthier marriages today because emotions come and emotions go, but love is a decision i got to be honest with you. There are times as a preacher, I don't feel like coming to church. Anybody else feel that way? What are you doing raising your hands? No, I'm joking. I'm seriously. You're like, right now, preacher, I don't want to be here, okay? I understand that, all right? There are times that we don't want to come to church. There's times that I don't want to preach. There's times that I don't want to be good. All of us have been there. We have. But hear me. We don't base what we do on our feelings. How many of y'all got a job? Just let me see your hands. How many of y'all, you feel like going to your job 24-7 all the time? Let me see your hands. No one's raising their hands. No one, right? Because there's some days you don't want to go. Do you still go? You betcha, or you get fired, right? That's it. See, we don't allow our emotions to control that area of our life, and eventually once you get to work, things probably get a little bit better. It's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. 
<laughs> or unless it was a Monday. I don't know. All right? My point is, sometimes we just have to eventually do it, and our emotions will catch up to our obedience. That's how it is. That's how it is in life. There are days that you feel like it, and there are days that are awesome. And then is it a principle, again, if you obey, eventually your emotions will catch up to your obedience. Don't just really pretend to love others. Really love them. So here's a question as we can apply this today. What are you, who are you pretending to love right now in your life? Who are you trying to make nice with? Who is that? And Paul, if he was here today, and he is because he's writing this letter, he says, really love them. And, I mean, try to understand their world. Try to show some empathy. Try to banish the thoughts of envy or jealousy or scorn. If you want things to change, ask God to change you. Because when you ask God to change you, things change. Paul doesn't stop here, though he could. It's kind of like this passage, it's kind of like being in a boxing ring with Paul. He's over there, you know, and he hits you. It's like, oh, right, what just happened? And then, and, and then you're like, and you're thinking you're going to recover, and then he hits you again. Here's this one-two punch. Here's this next one. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. What does that mean? Well, there must be something attractive to what is wrong. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. Think about that. I know that's not deep, but hey. There must be something, it must get fun to get drunk. Or people wouldn't do it. There must be something attractive to flirting or having an affair. Or people wouldn't have affairs. There must be something attractive to greed. Otherwise, people wouldn't be greedy. There must be something attractive to gossiping about somebody and talking behind somebody's back. Otherwise, people wouldn't gossip. We all know gossip is wrong, greed's wrong, getting drunk is wrong, adultery's wrong, addiction's bad. We know that. But, God, but Paul says... You, you, you kind of like what is wrong, don't you? I mean, there's a part of what's wrong It's kind of attractive. Sin is fun for a season. I mean, anybody, that a church or a preacher ever tells you that sin isn't fun is lying to you. It is. It's fun for a little bit, but there's always the consequences afterward. And what Paul is saying, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate what is wrong, love what is good. On the other hand, think about this. There's a part of doing good that isn't that attractive, is it? Just isn't. It's more fun to be bad than to be good. You mean I have to wait until I'm married to have sex? Yeah. If it was attractive, everyone would wait. You mean I shouldn't retaliate and take revenge? Yeah. That's what the Bible says. But that's no fun. And Paul says, you see how those polarities are reversed? You need to hate what is wrong and hold tightly and cling to what is good. If we did those two things, really love people and hate what is wrong, there would be some massive change in your life, wouldn't there? Let's be honest. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. There would be some massive change in your life. And hear me. Maybe we should start doing that. Because God tells us in this passage what to do. And if, yes, we're to pray over the things that we can't control, but God is saying, change you. Let me help you change you by the power of my spirit. If we ask God to change you, things will start to change. Keep on going. Verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in what? Honoring each other. It's that last part. Take delight in honoring. Let's don't go any further than your family. If you started to delight and take honor in your spouse, how different would your home life be? 
Now, I'm not saying they deserve it. I'm not saying that. It's not what it says. It says, take delight, and if you would bring that verse back up there. Take delight in honoring each other. How different would your home life if you honored your children? Or children, if you honored your parents? Even though they didn't listen for the upteenth time. I mean, here's the thing I've realized, getting older. That it's easy to find fault. It is so easy to find fault. And here's the thing, the older you get, the better you are at finding fault in other people. Anybody else feel that way? I mean, it's easy to point out people's faults. Anybody can do that, by the way. Let me tell you what's more difficult and what I think we're called to do. It's to encourage one another. To encourage one another. If we decided just to honor the people that we live with, to honor your children, to honor your spouse, to honor your parents, to honor the people in your life, even if, if they're not deserving of honor, most of us, that would be a serious attitude change, wouldn't it? Really, it would. Let's keep on going. Verse 11 says this, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord. What's that last word? Let me tell you, that word enthusiastically, that literally is a Greek transliteration. And it's the word in theos. That's where that comes from. And let me tell you what in theos literally means. It's to be filled with God. It's to have, see God in things. He says to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy. Here's a definition of lazy that I found this past week. Laziness is resting when you're not tired. Some of you are going, oh, that just hurt, right? That gum, really? Now, again, there's times in our life that we're to take breaks. Even the Bible says, you know, we're to, you know, we're to take a Sabbath, you know, once a week. You know, we're to just take a chill and just leave the results up to God. But laziness is resting when you're not tired. That gum. I mean, think about this. We're a culture of two extremes, overwork and overrest. Some of us are overworkers. Some of us are overresters. And both are wrong. And hear me, there's nothing bad with work. There's nothing bad about work. In fact, work is a part of God's order. Did you know this? That God gave Adam and Eve, or specifically Adam, a job before he gave Adam a wife? Let me just talk to you single guys in here. If you expect ever to get married, get a job first. Seriously, right? If you want any chance of that girl to take a second look at you, before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. And by the way, he gave him a job, and that's before sin ever entered the world. Let me just stop right there. Do you know that there's going to be work in heaven? Some of you are going, oh, no. <laughs> See, let me tell you what some of y'all's definition of heaven is about. Heaven is about you, you have harps, and you're fo- floating around with fat cherub babies, you know, singing. That ain't heaven, that's hell. All right? Let me tell you, seriously. The, the, Bible is, it, the Bible says very, very clearly that we're going to have jobs. We're going to have work in heaven. And let me tell you, this is so interesting. You and I will have responsibilities and assignments in heaven, and what's going to determine those responsibilities and assignments is how you worked down here and how well you, treat, how well you worked with your money. See, some of you, you're going to be cleaning toilets in heaven. I'm joking. Others of you, you're going to be doing some... And the point is this, is that we're going to be spending eternity working for the glory of God. We're going to be engaging in God's work in heaven. It's going to be amazing. But if you want to determine what you're going to be doing in heaven, the question you have to ask yourself is, how well did I do down here? Because if, 
if God can trust you with something small like doing down here, he can trust you with something big about being up here. How, you know the best way we can worship God? It isn't coming in here and singing songs and throwing our hands up. This is what Colossians 3.23 says. Work willingly at what? Whatever. Now that's a Greek word. You know what that Greek word means? Whatever. Whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Now let me just stop here. The church has really done this verse a really disservice. Because I grew up in a, in a, in a church that said, you know, people would walk down forward and, you know, and they would say, God is calling me to be a preacher or a missionary or something. And they would go, oh, that's so awesome. They would put their arm around you and he says, he's working for God. He's working for the Lord. Let me tell you, if you're a Christ follower in here, whatever you do, you want to know who you're working for? The Lord. Some of you, you are, are, are dealing with preschoolers at home, and that's work. If you don't believe it, just tell your husband that, all right? Or allow him to stay home with the kids, <laughs> right? Just saying, right? You're working. Do that unto God. Some of you, you're working on post. You're not military, but you're working on post. Do that as to God. Some of you, you're delivering pizzas, you're working for Mr. Gettys or Papa John's. Do that. Be the best pizza deliverer for Jesus Christ. I mean, do everything as you're working to the Lord. That's what it means to work enthusiastically, that God is in that. If you are a typist, you type unto God. If you're a teacher, you teach all those kids, but you're, who you're really working for is God. You fire your boss, and you make Jesus your boss. And you do everything. It says work willingly at what? Whatever. I love that. So it's, it, don't just think that Chris works for the Lord. Or Patrick or Dave or Justin or Michael or any of these. No, all of us, if you're a Christ follower, you are to be a first sergeant working for God. Do it enthusiastically. Even if there are days where you have to drag yourself out of bed and fake it. You fake it until your emotions catch up with your obedience, and it will. You see, if you do that, let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be change in your workplace, isn't there? There's going to be change in your school when you do your homework as unto God. There's going to be change in your typing pool when you are the secretary who is working for God. You're actions, you're, the way you talk is just going to be a little bit different. You see, it's so easy to take the cop out and focusing on what we can't change and asking God to change that when really God is saying, if you want to see true change happen, you change you. You change you. You are the catalyst of change at your work. You are the catalyst of change in your home. You are the catalyst of change in your family. If you, you want your parents to come to know Jesus Christ, you tell them. You don't pray for somebody else to go talk to them. Yeah, you can do that, but you act. Because if you pray that God changes you, you know what's going to happen? Things will what? Change. Romans 12, 12 says this. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble in what? Keep on praying. There it is. My challenge to you this week is for you to read through Romans 12, and now you know some things to pray about. I got to love people for real? Dadgum. I, I, I need to hate what is 
evil. I got to cling to what is good. Who am I really not loving? Who am I pretending to love? Who am I not giving honor to? What areas am I lazy? Where can I bring God's glory in my work? How can I make God's name big? Verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. We are tended to think, you know what, if I had a bigger house, I would have more people over. Or if I had a better kitchen, I would have people over. My, my wife and I, we got a, um, it's not a Fisbo, it's a, it, it was a repo. And uh, we got a great deal on a great house. Our kitchen is the Brady Bunch kitchen. It is stuck in the 80s. It just is. And we've got to do some work on it. We just hadn't yet. And sometimes it's easy for us to say, you know what? Once we get the kitchen redone, then we'll have people over. Uh-uh. You just have people over, right? Because some of you, if I had a pool, then I invite people over. Let me tell you what happens. You get the pool, you get the kitchen redone, you get the floors done, you still don't have people over, right? Let's just be honest. You don't. And see, the whole idea, it isn't about the quality of your stuff. It's about the quality of your heart. Maybe the reason why God hasn't given you all of those things you prayed for, the house, the car, the new kitchen, all this stuff, is because we're not being faithful to what he's given us now. Always be eager to practice hospitality. That means you do with what you got, and you still invite people over. It says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Somebody's picking on you at work? Somebody in your family always grinding you to the bone? Bless them. Look what it says next. Don't curse them. Verse 14. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. How many of y'all, that's prayer that you want to pray right there? Right? Your worst enemy and you're asking me to pray for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. God's not telling you be buds with them. He's saying pray for them. I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, the best way for me to destroy my enemy is to love him into my friend. How to preach. And that is exactly what this verse is talking about. Pray for them because it's impossible to hate somebody you pray for. Man, we don't do that in prayer, do we? Because we're too busy. We're wanting God to change them. Or we're wanting to change them. We're not called to change those people. We're called to pray for them. Keep on going. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. And this is a sign of great community. Often as Christians, we do the exact opposite. Just leave this verse up if you would. Here's what we have a tendency to do. Somebody who's really happy, we must think they must be really, they must have done something wrong so we poke holes in their happiness, right? So they're not as happy as you. Or we do the exact opposite. Uh, We do this one a lot as Christians. Someone is sad or struggling through a huge loss, somebody is in the hospital and they have cancer, and we try to put on this happy face and we quote empty Bible, ver- ver- you know, empty Bible verses, excuse me, you know, God helps those who help themselves, so that's not in the Bible, you know. We'll quote something just to make them try to feel better, and that's some of the worst things that you can ever do. If you're in a hospital going to visit people, sometimes the best thing you can do is not say nothing and just to weep with those who weep, just to have your heart break for them. Because you can't fix it. You can't fix it. You weep. A sign of healthy community is this verse. We celebrate other successes. We weep and we mourn with those who are struggling. Your heart breaks for their heart. This is called life. 
And life takes place best when you do it in community. And that just doesn't happen naturally. Uh, I mean, you, you get there when you pray, and you pray, God, God, help this. Let me do this. Look what it says in verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary folk, ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. Some of you are going, I knew that. Right, all right. Don't you know how, do you know how we, you can always enjoy the company of ordinary people? Never think of yourself as anything other than ordinary. One of my mentors uh, in seminary, Chuck Swindoll, used to tell us this. Never read your press releases. Never read your press releases. What is he saying? He's saying you're ordinary. Another one uh, of the presidents of Dallas Theological Seminary, he, talked, he told the story true story about uh, he grew up in Texas. His name is Donald Campbell. And he was walking down this dusty road. And uh, there was this fence going along the road uh, and just in these rolling hills. And he's, he's walking on this dusty road. On top of one of the fence posts, there's a turtle. And the turtle's just doing this. Right? And you know what he said? Donald Campbell said, he says, you know what? That turtle didn't get up there by himself. That's obvious, right? Somebody put the turtle up there. And some of you, you think you're at the top of the heap because you did it. No. Somebody placed you up on top, on top of there. So never forget the ordinary people because you are what? Ordinary. You are ordinary. Don't think you know it all. Let me tell you, you want to know the, what the signs of true wisdom is? They, they know that they don't know all the answers. Here's the thing, I'll be honest with you. The older I get and the longer I pastor, the more I realize I got questions you would think I'd have more answers, but I think I have more questions, and I'm okay with that. I really am. But I don't think I know it all. I don't think there's some things in the Bible that I just don't know about. And I have to be okay with that. There's a tension there. Let me tell you, as I close today, let me show, I can't tell you all I know about prayer, but I'm going to give you just three handholds that I can tell you that helps me in prayer. All right, as we close. And the first one is this. How many of y'all struggle with an ADD life, a prayer life? Well, you start praying and you get distracted. Anybody? Cool. All right, I'm there, so I'm with you. Really, nobody else? All y'all are lying, or maybe, you're, maybe you need to be teaching this, all right? Here's how there's a fix for that, and here's this. You need to pray out loud. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. The brain, your brain works fast. In fact, the brain can process twice as fast as you can speak. That's a difficult for me as a communicator because as I am communicating, your mind is already going, okay, I understand what you're saying. Let's go to the next point. But it's difficult. Now, here's the thing. Here's the problem. This is where it can get us in a lot of trouble sometimes because we'll start praying about one thing, and two seconds later, you're chasing a rabbit, a rabbit trail because your mind is drifting. One of the ways you can keep focus with your prayers is by speaking them out loud. It will slow down your mind and speaking the words out loud of your prayers. You will begin to know when you start to drift off and you, you're, when you're starting to pray out loud and you start talking about having to clean the garage. You realize, I'm off target. I got to get back on target, all right? So pray out loud. Man, there's nothing wrong with speaking it. And a lot of times I'll be in my car and I'm either singing, and of course people can't hear the song, so I'm going, or I'm right? And people are going, he's, you know, he's got issues. Well, number one, I do. But number two, I'm probably talking to God, all right? Because I don't own a Bluetooth headset. I just don't. 
right? I'm probably talking to God, all right? So let me give you another one. For those of you just don't know what to pray. Any of y'all that? I've been there. Or maybe your prayer life is kind of stagnant, it's kind of bored. Anybody? Anyone? Am I the only one? Dear Jesus, y'all. All right? And this is, this is a fix to that, is to pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. One of the problems many of us face when we're praying it, 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 for someone is just what do we pray? I mean, sometimes our prayers start feeling a little bit shallow, and we just want to say, Lord, bless them, or Lord, give them a good day. Well, that's not really much. One answer is to pray Scripture. Take a passage of the Bible and turn it into prayer for the person you're praying for. Praying Scripture back to God really helps me focus on the mind, and it assures me the subject matter about what needs to be prayed about. And it's a great way to meditate on the Bible. So you can actually pray, and it's intelligent, and you can actually memorize some scripture while you're at it. How many of y'all have ever, anybody ever quoted anybody back to you? Anyone? That happens to me quite often. Somebody will say, hey, I heard this dude, and I'm like, I think I said that. You know, uh, and it's kind of cool, right? It makes me think, all right, people are actually listening, right? Imagine how God feels when we quote God back to God. I mean, when we take the Bible, and we take what he's written, and we speak it back to him. That is so cool. And taking the promise of God and speaking them out loud, saying them back to God, and making it personal by substituting the I and addressing God directly. Let me give you an example. This verse is on the screen, one of my favorite verses. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. You could take that verse... And by the way, it's cool. You can write that verse down, put it on your dashboard, put it on your mirror. And as you're praying, you could pray something like this. God, I'm afraid right now. But your word says in Isaiah 41, 10, that I don't have to be afraid anymore. Why? Because you are with me, God. God, let me sense your presence. Let me realize that you are right beside me. God, look at this. I am discouraged right now. That's just being honest with God. This is how I'm feeling. But you tell me I don't have to remain discouraged because you are my God. I pray that you strengthen me. I pray that you would help me. And I would pray that you would what? Hold me up. If I raise the roof, come on. Hold me up with his what? His victorious right hand. You see, that will transform your prayer life, won't it? That's more God be with me. Again, I talked about this last week. You never have to pray that prayer. You don't want to know why? Because if you are a Christ follower, he is in you. You don't have to pray, be with me. I mean, that's just empty words. Take the Bible and quote it back to him, all right? This is so good. Now, for those of you ever get in a rut when you pray, anyone? I am the only one who has issues. I hate you all. All right, for those of you who get in a rut when you pray, here is a suggestion is do a prayer walk. Do a prayer walk. Again, I do this pretty much every week. I've been doing this for the past seven years uh, as one church has been in existence. I try to walk and pray neighborhoods. And let me give you just a, a, a great, just a good, a good way. This is kind of a formula, but it's like this. That a change of place plus a change of pace equals a change of perspective. And many of you, the reason why your praying is bland is you've always done it in the same spot. Get up and walk around. Go to a neighborhood. 
And as you're walking that neighborhood, notice all of the uh, all of the families in that neighborhood. You pray for those homes. And I, again, like I said, I try to do this weekly. I go and I see uh, those toys out in the uh, in the in the in the yard, and I pray for the kids that they would come to know God, and I pray for the parents that they would be good parents. I pray if there's one or two cars, if there, there's one, I pray for, you know, if they're single parents, that God would give them an extra measure of just patience. Because I don't even know what that looks like. I can't even imagine that. But there are people living with this, and it just, it's a struggle. They're living with stepkids and stepparents, and I pray, God, God, help them. Lord, be with them. If they're experiencing fear, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you would encourage them. And while I do that, there are some people that are actually out in the yard, and sometimes I can even interact with them. So I, I'm not praying, God, just pray that somebody would come and tell them about Jesus. God's going, dude, you're the answer to their prayer. Just go and talk to them about Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. This is our last sermon on the series of prayer. And here's what we're going to do right now is we're just going to end praying. And uh, before we do that, I'm going to ask, uh, actually answer a couple of questions, but I just want to just have you guys pray. I'm not going to lead you. It's just going to be silence. And then afterwards, Luther's going to come out, and he is going to finish praying for you guys, and then we're going to be done. So here's some questions um, that uh, I have received today. Hang on a sec. How do you balance the demands of being a good father and a good husband with the requirement to do your utmost at work as though you were serving God? If you have a tremendously demanding job, your family will lose out with this mindset. How do you balance the work and family requirements? That's a really, really good question. Before I answer it in my own words, let me give you a resource that I think uh, for all of those in here who struggle with that. It's a book by Andy Stanley entitled Choosing to Cheat. Choosing to Cheat. And let me kind of uh, tell you the premise of the book. Um, Andy says this, we're all going to cheat somewhere. We're either going to cheat at work in, uh, in, and we're going to give our family the best, or we're going to cheat at home and we're going to give our work the best. He says this, he says, if, if you have to choose to cheat anywhere, cheat your work. Because your family needs, that's going to be the lasting legacy of who you are. Now again, that verse, work willingly as to the Lord, there are going to be sometimes, there's going to be some seasons, and this is, it's this way with me in church work. There's some seasons where I feel like I'm out every night, and I'm always engaging with people. And there's other ones that, you know what, I, I, I get breaks. Here's the thing, you've got to find a rhythm that you and your family can live with. Because you can't be out every night of the week and be a good husband and be a good father. You can't. Or be a good mom and be a good wife. You can't. You, there has to be some rhythms. And you need to converse that. You need to talk about that with your spouse. You need to say, you know, okay, there's this section of time. I'm doing a project at work that's going to take a little bit more time. And I'm asking you to be understanding, and I'm going to give it my best. But after that, I'm going to take a knee and I, I, I can't be at 110% all the time. Let me tell you this. If you keep your job at 110%, you won't have a family. You hear what I'm saying? You won't have a family. 
or your, your family will just be under your roof, but there won't be any real connection. There won't be any relationship building. And your children will grow up, and they will resent you, Mom. They will resent you, Dad, because you weren't a dad. You weren't a mom. So there's, it's kind of a tension. There's going to be sometimes you're going to be really good at it. There's going to be sometimes you really stink at it. You wonder how the reason I know that? Because that's how I am. Or sometimes I'm a great dad. There's other times that I'm like, really? Yeah, I feel like I need to be preaching a parenting series, not for you guys, but to be preaching it to me, right? I'm serious, it's totally. So thank you so much for your question. I think I had one more maybe. We'll see. Let's see. Uh, hang on a sec. Um, all right. Just staff contacting. A couple of things as we pray. Uh, some of you uh, know Patrick Fowler, our community groups pastor. Uh, uh, Patrick and Stacy had their baby yesterday. So, uh, so awesome. Uh, uh, the, it's a little boy, and uh, it was 19 and a half inches long. Uh, the name is Elisha Scott Fowler. And I think it was six pounds, four ounces, I think. I think that's right. So anyway, um, but y'all be praying for Patrick and Stacy. Uh, they're up in Nashville uh, at Centennial, and just, just, just pray on them. Also, continue to remember Katie's father. She's our Wonderland director. Um, he had a tractor accident two Fridays ago, still in the hospital. So just to be praying for him. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads. I'm going to get off stage. And I want you to just talk to God. Talk to God. Spend some time talking with him, and Luther will close us. God, I love you. And God, I believe that you are big and that you are real. And that God, in the big moments of our life, when we're overwhelmed and know that all we have is you, that you're there. And God, and in those ordinary days that we feel like we can handle it, that God, you're there. And that God, so wherever we are this morning, whether we're feeling like we don't need you or feeling like that you are all that we have, God, um, that we would come to terms with the fact that you're right there with us, with your arms wrapped around us, loving us, caring for us, being enough. And that God, in realizing that, that we would just talk to you. God, that prayer isn't a time of our day, but prayer is what we do through our day. That, God, we talk to you while we work, and we talk to you while we drive, and we talk to you while we play with our kids. And, um, God, we talk to you as we celebrate. That, God, it just becomes part of our conversation every day. And that, God, more importantly, that we listen. That, God, sometimes we realize that you gave us two ears and one mouth. And so that, God, sometimes prayer is being quiet and being still and knowing that you want to speak to us. And that, God, your plans for us are so much better than anything we could ever imagine. And so, God, I pray that we would learn to be good listeners in our prayer and hear those wonderful plans you have for us. God, we ask these things in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen.